from the Upper Mount Samiesville Studios in Samiesville, Pennsylvania, comes the We Talk Games interview. Another exciting episode of Interview Starcade! Joining me is Kyle Von Kubik. Hey! Yo, man, hey, good to hear from you. More Interview Starcade being blasted into your ears. Dependent yes. on your the volume of your device. Yeah. Turn it up. You Turn went it. all the way up. You want to hear people shouting at you, whether they're shouting yes. or not. Special guests! Now, Interview Starcade is... It's the sweet corn, it's the cream corn. No, you wouldn't want to do that. The creme. Yes, you don't want to do that. Yeah, it is definitely the chicken a la king. Uh, fit for a king. Why don't they have chicken a la king anymore? Wouldn't you want to eat something that's for a king? Uh, it'll always look gross to me. Okay, well, I like it, but uh, I don't eat We know how much you love anymore. meat. Yeah. Hey, I do love meat. In fact, I love the summer of meat, the meat twins, the people from Team Meat... Edmund McMillan and Tommy Refinis, and we're going to talk about, of course, Super Meat Boy and all the games that brought them to Super Meat Boy, and what more appropriate game for me to want to talk about, of course, and, and have on our show, and Super Meat Boy! Uh, it's, it's the cats out of the bag, as they say, of course. I am the announcer for the yes. Super Meat Boy game. Yes, this is true. It all happened because we had Team Meat on a show, right. and about... What, not even a week after we had them on a show, they contacted no. you. Yeah, it was it was literally the day after the show. Went. Oh, that's yeah. how long it took. Yes. <laughs> and they said, hey, we'd love to have you uh, do voiceovers in, my, in our game. And I said, no, I'm pretty sure you want the guy who interviewed you to do the voiceovers for your game. And they said, and no. And they said, yes, no, that they, is exactly who we want. They said, no, we want Coach McGurk. Yes, that's hilarious. <laughs> why does why don't you hire yourself out as a Coach McGurk imitator? I'm sure you know. I'm tons. sure there's a huge market for that. <laughs> well, doesn't he have that new show now? He has that uh, that espionage show that no one knows is on. He's right, a spy. you watch it. Yeah, what is he called? I think it's called Spyville. But anyway, T Meat was on a show. It was a great interview. One one of the funnest interviews, I think. Uh, Stinky had to uh, blow his little vavavaluza or whatever you call yeah. that thing. Uh, a lot during the show, but you know what? There's there's no censorship on this show. Just editing. That's what I like to say. Really great guys, Edmund and uh, Tommy. And very cool. Yeah, re- really neat stuff. And Edmund actually sent me a, a CD that you could buy uh, off off of his his website, which is edmundm.com, and you can see a lot of his work there. Gish, uh, as I mentioned on the show I played, which is just an amazing, atmospheric, um, uh, moving title. But you can pick up This Is a Cry for Help. It's only 10 bucks, and you get 17-plus games, 15-plus comics, four sketchbooks, animation, movie. It's only 10 bucks. And uh, w- one of my favorite games on here is a version of Tempest. That You're not allowed to say the title. I on cannot the show. say the title on a show. Uh-huh. I cannot tell Edmund I like this uh, this this game, or else AOL will delete my email. But it's one of the most unique 
iterations of a Tempest style web game uh, that you've ever seen in your life. I'll give you a hint. It rhymes with the word clunt. See you next time. <laughs> okay, bye everybody. Uh, <laughs> but so, hey, let me just put the reel to reel on the tape player here and let's uh, listen to see what happens when we interview Team Meat. All right, Keith, you know what? Let's get right into the meat. Uh, what you got there, Stink? A giant horn? Yeah, I was following that uh, World Cup thing that they had. They call it one of these Vuvuzelas or something. All right, well, don't be blowing out on a show, okay? Big guests coming up. Open it up, Keith. USA Coast to Coast. Go! Santa Cruz, California, Nashville, North Carolina. Now, uh, on the line, Edmund, now is it MC Millen, like your hip, or is it Edmund McMillan? Uh, I used to go by MC Millen back in the 80s, but now I go by the full McMillan. Now you go by Top Rockin' Edmund. Okay, very good. And Tommy, alternating syllabic, Raffinus. Yes. Of course, of Super Meat Boy fame. Super Meat Boy fame, yeah. Yes. That's us. That are you. Very good. We'll get into that a little bit later. I like to ask nowadays, uh, we had Alex Noisy on the show from the BitTrip series, of course, and uh, I thought, hey, you know, BitTrip, it's been around for a little while. Uh, this must have been his breakout game. And here he's, you know, in the industry for like 35 years, 40 years. And, you know, he invented Pac-Man and Pong and uh, Mario and all these other games I didn't know. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a prolific. It's weird that he would go from making those games and then just decide to just do WiiWare games. Strange. Yeah. I guess, you know, I guess that's where the money's at. Uh, who knows? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> uh, very good. But, no, seriously, you know, I, he, he has been in an industry longer than I had uh, thought. So uh, I'd like to find out a little bit of where both of you came from. Just a little I bit of background. Gonna, I thought you were going to, like, improvise where we've our backs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would have if I interesting. Yeah, I, I would have if I hadn't worked with the electrician all day. And you know, I know that you like Munsters, Edmund. So before the show, I was so pressed for time. I had a, a sandwich. It was a hot dog roll with some Munster cheese on it, and uh, we didn't even have mustard, so I had to put jelly on it. And uh, that's that's the story. That's, that's, that's something. <laughs> That's it. All right. So <laughs> so let's get, instead of that, my sandwiches, let's get into how you came into video. Let's start at the beginning. Embryonic, you come out, you look around. What type of video game systems are available to you as a youth? When I was, like, a fetus, I, um, I don't think any home consoles had come out yet. Um, so by the time I was five... I think an Atari came out. Okay. I, I had an Atari when I was six. I think it was a 2600. And that was my first console that I had. What were some of your favorite titles on there? Spider-Man? I, no, I didn't like Spider-Man. My cousins had Spider-Man. I was never like into Spider-Man. Anything oh. Spider-Man. Um, I, I liked the game Hero a lot. I like Jungle Hunt and Hero were like my favorite, my favorite Atari games. Very good, very good. I mean, I didn't have many, but uh, those were the ones that I liked. I got in at Pong, but then uh, as far as a, game, a gaming console I could afford, I wasn't able to get one until I had a job in, the, in the, like, 83, and then I bought the Atari 5200, of all things. So, how about you, Tommy? What, uh, what was your first gaming experiences? I had a, uh, a Fairchild. Wow, Channel F? 
Yeah, Channel F. Fantastic. And we had a baseball game and a tank game, and they were basically the same <laughs> because you could, like, shoot the baseball and curve it, and then you could shoot the tank and then curve the bullet. Yeah. So it was, it was basically all the same game. And then uh, I got a Nintendo when they came out and then just got every system sort of after that, except for I didn't have a PlayStation 1. Oh and wow! I didn't have I didn't have any of the Sega systems except for the Genesis. Okay. Did you have Blackjack for the Fairchild F? That was also popular. I think we did actually. We had we had quite a few games for that, but I like they were so horrible that I played it like maybe two or three times, and then I was just like, "Yeah, this isn't fun." But then Mario came out, and then I was like, "Oh well, play Mario all the time, so that's good." Right on! Right on. How about as far as working in the gaming industry? How did you break in there? How did you decide that you wanted to try this out? Did you work for a regular company first, or did you just break out on your own? I've been programming forever, like since I was 11. So when I quit college, like I didn't graduate, um, I quit college and I got a job doing server programming, web programming, database stuff. Okay. And I was doing that, and I liked it. But I used I would work like a whole bunch, and all of my free time was basically working. And I always wanted to make video games, but I never, uh, you know, I, I never actually got the time to do it. And like I had a house and like a car and all this stuff. And uh, I, I lived in Charlotte here in North Carolina, and uh, I was constantly depressed because my my house was super huge and it was just me and my cat living in it. I see. And I had like a subscription to EGM and stuff like that. So I would always get like the gaming magazines and this one day I saw this article about the game that would become Twilight Princess and there was this little offset article about the fishing mini game in it mm-hmm. and it basically talked about how the programmer that did that, he did it in his spare time because he loved fishing. And when I read that, it kind of struck me because I'm like, what do I do in my spare time? And I'm like, oh, well, I do database stuff for NASCAR. And I want to blow my brains out. So also at that point, my friend had got a job at a company in uh, the Netherlands. He was doing art for one of their games or something. And they needed a network programmer for an Xbox Live game. So I was like, oh, well, I'll go do that. And I, I sold my house and my car, and I moved out to the Netherlands. And uh, that company was awful and horrible. They were, like, everything bad you hear about any video game company, like any video game crunch or anything. Mm-hmm. These guys not only did that, but they took it to a whole nother level of total Polishness. So when I went there, I was network programmer. Then I moved into like lead engine programmer and stuff like that. And it was supposed to be an XBLA game. And they pissed Microsoft off so bad that Microsoft just dropped them and nobody else would touch them. And they basically blamed us and mm. kind of treated all the employees like. So uh, I just left. And then I started making an indie game with uh, the designer of that game. That worked at the company in, in the Netherlands. It's, it's the company is streamlined. The game is Hoop World. Okay. Uh, that their game finally came out after ten years, 
of develop literally wow. ten years of development. Um, came out this Monday and is doing horrible. So huh. that's good for them. So came back. I started making the game with uh, my friend Aubrey, who was the designer or one of the designers on Hoop World because he didn't actually design Hoop World. Like they hired him as a designer, but whenever he would like suggest something, they would ignore it and then do mushrooms and suggest something else, like the, the high ups of the company. <laughs> my goodness. Yeah, and then they blame Aubrey if it didn't work out. Yeah, it was it was great. We literally had meetings. They would bring us all in the conference room. Oh, okay, so we're going to redo this camera system. Me and uh, my, my brother, I won't say their names. Uh, I won't say their names, but me and my brother were doing mushrooms, and we decided this would be the best way to do the camera for Hoop World. Wow. And, like, literally this happened almost once a week, and it just never, never worked out. So I left that. Me and Aubrey did our own thing. Aubrey actually ended up, he had to go take a job at uh, Splash Damage where he works now. And he's, he's pretty happy doing what he's doing there. But I continued on the game that we made. We made it into the IGF in 2008 and it didn't win anything. But then, uh, yeah, like me and Edmund met up and we decided to do Meat Boy. And I'm poor and I'm happy. So that's good. <laughs> Good. Well, uh, hopefully that will all change uh, when you get in your your pennies. So I'll Uh, be poor and unhappy? (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) Oh, I had heard a lot about the Netherlands and, of course, that they crank out games and really demand a lot of their programs. Oh, no, no, no. It is is in no way. No, this this is, yeah, don't take it as that because the Netherlands is actually a wonderful, wonderful place. They took, and one of my friends that worked there, we both sort of had the title of, engine programmer he did more audio stuff but Mm -hmm. i did more like render stuff i see after i left they put him through so much pressure they were trying to get him to quit because in the netherlands if you get fired they have to pay you a severance no matter what so they were trying to get him to quit so they were pressuring him so much that he went to a government paid like a psychiatrist or something and the psychiatrist ordered that they pay him the severance for like double the amount of time that it would have been if they would have just fired him and paid him the severance because wow. they were putting him under so much pressure. So I gave him time to like look for another job. No, it's not in no way was it the Netherlands. It is literally that company. And it wasn't and the people that ran that company, they're not even Dutch. They're from Utah. They're they're Americans that went over there and just literally just took advantage of a lot of people's dreams and stuff. And My goodness. unfortunately they're out of business now, which oh. is a shame. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, I mean, no, it was in no way the Netherlands. It was literally this company was just being really ish. Gotcha. Please. So this is kind of a newer type of thing to you. I mean, you, you, of course, were put through the paces, but this game, which is taking on, I mean, it's become a pretty big of a hit, I think, uh, is, is well, one of your first let's things. Let's hope it's not even out yet, but. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it definitely has the buzz. Yeah, it's, it's got some buzz. And it's got a lot of YouTube. We're going to cash in those hits on YouTube soon. Yeah, I'm going to buy a car. (laughs) (laughs) I release uh, videos on a a weekly basis. I had to stop doing YouTube ads because it's just it's just uh, silly. Do you do you cash in the actual hits on the video? Yeah, cash in the hits. Oh, that's where the money is. The views. You could do that. Yeah, yeah, you click the button that says cash in. Yeah, you just send you. You don't even put your address in YouTube. Dear YouTube. I have 38 million views. Please send me a check. And then that goes through accounting, and then you get your money. Wow. It's the same as like asking Bill Gates for money. It's like Google's got the money, and they, they're holding it for you there. You just yeah. got to cash in your, your views and 
like, it never, I cashed in our hits. I didn't even tell Tommy this because I needed the money. I cashed okay. in the hits for the Super Meat Boy website. Oh, man. Yeah, well, I needed the money. That's that's cool. I mean, I'm glad. Well, that that's just money in the bank, basically. That's yeah, that's cool. help development. So that's just, just tweet, tweet, and then yeah. You know, oh yeah, we we have a pretty a pretty uh, constant revenue stream from Twitter. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We have uh, 1,900 followers, so you know, do the math. My goodness, that's a that's a lot of money. I... That's like three bucks a click. Can you cash in your your Facebook? Well, we do. We do cash in our Facebook. Yeah. It's a lower revenue stream for... Yeah. It's it, Well, Facebook's more about your friends. Yeah. Yeah. And not giving your mom your uh, username. <laughs> my mom has mine. And so does my... Uh, oh, she'll never hear this. My uh, crazy uh, <laughs> relative. Uh, and, and you'll see these, like, crazy comments that are confused and it's bewildered uh, comments like she's a fan of Meat Boy on Facebook and she'll post and say great job Edmund even when it's something like we say that you know we didn't put it on PlayStation and that's the news and then she says great job Edmund I'm proud of you <laughs> I'm so proud of you <laughs> and, uh, yeah that's what happens when you open your your internet life out to your uh, family yeah family definitely how did you get your start in the in the gaming where i'm familiar with gish because i picked it up as part of the humble indie game bundle oh yes i actually paid 30 dollars for the bundle i I wasn't one of these (laughs) cheap skates with the two dollars and stuff like that well thank you yes i appreciate that that um yeah the humble bundle money really saved both me and tommy's ass uh when it came to funding because we didn't have any money at that time and I had just got my truck totaled and <laughs> everything's falling apart. But yeah, that came out of nowhere and uh, kind of saved us. So that's really cool. But I thought video games, working in video games would be impossible because, uh, you know, you always assume it's a team of people. And ever since I was pretty young, like freshman in high school, I knew I wanted to be an independent artist. I started making comics independently and self-publishing. Mm-hmm. Sure, I did that as well. And that's kind of how I got my start in I guess the mind frame of being independent and wanting to stay independent and just do whatever I wanted to do. I was pretty comfortable with living really poor and I grew up poor and it wasn't a big deal to have a lot of money. I didn't have anything that I really needed that I didn't already have. So I just basically would steal from Kinko's and make comics. And later on I started to do, I had my, I did like web design stuff and art and just like contract work and stuff like that on the side. I didn't even realize that you could be independent, an independent game developer. I had no idea how it worked. I thought it always took, you know, a big giant team and a lot of money and all of them. I made the move from uh, comics to like web comics and interactive flash games and really basic stuff. That was like in 2000, uh, 99, 2000. Okay. Uh, so I started, I, I think I was the first known for a game called Dead Baby Dress Up, which was like a pretty popular flash game dress-up doll thing. It was one of the first dress-up dolls, too. At least one yeah. of the first popular ones. Hmm. Way back in the day. And uh, that got on Newgrounds, which was just kind of starting out as well and, and gained popularity. And Newgrounds was one of the first sites that actually showed me that what independent games were, because Tom was the first person I knew, other than, of course, Id. But, you know, they got huge. Mm-hmm. That was doing online indie games. And he was doing them all himself. And they were pretty cool. And and I met with Tom, and he kind of supported me. He liked my website a lot and really got a lot of traffic to, to my website. And he 
started me out basically and got me really excited about you know the possibility of gaining a following on the internet and and all that sort of stuff and that's actually where I, I semi met Tommy because Tommy was doing similar stuff at a similar time and this was you know how many, 10 years ago no tw- yeah. yeah 10 years ago Tommy had a site called Tommyism and I knew him because he did this thing called it was a flash game called like nail Jesus to the cross yes and you throw like uh, you throw nails and crucify him mm-hmm. and, and it has a 95 metacritic score it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> it's a popular one actually we were both linked in the Newgrounds network like web ring thing so we knew of each other then and uh, but then our paths of course crossed 10 years later or 8 years later or whatever and we started working together but we didn't really know each other then but that's how I started out so there was a small community of like driven I guess you could say driven artists and programmers and whatever else who were really into the freedom of the internet and got really into just producing things independently and, and back then you actually could make money off of off of ads and uh, mm-hmm. I think we both were right Tommy? yeah, yeah. I remember getting like my first check was like for two grand or something, and I thought, oh my god, like <laughs> yeah. I, I'm 19 and I'm getting like a two grand check for like a two weeks worth of, of hits. Wow! And, yeah. uh, and I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And then the next check it was for five hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and then the next check was for two hundred dollars. Yeah, and that was that was right when the market just totally bombed and. It went from me thinking that, oh, well, here it is. And this is my career. You know, I'm going to do online entertainment, and uh, that's what I'm going to make money off of. But no, it that crashed hardcore, and then everything, all these websites just died off. Newgrounds, of course, stayed. I believe that's when I, I had basically kind of given up, I think, by 2000. Three, and uh, I said, "Okay, well, I can't do this. You know, I can't. I can't seem to make a living off of my art." Mm-hmm. So, I got, I got a, bit, a bit depressed and decided, you know, if I'm going to make money, I need to get a real job. And I actually became an animal control officer for a year. <laughs> so that was my career for a year, and then I got fired. It was a really horrible, horrible experience, and the people I worked with were horrible people, similar to Tommy's situation, except life-threatening. Wow, and, uh, it was horrible. It was this bizarre mob rule conspiracy weirdness where people are like, we went from like being owned by the SPCA to be owned by the county and all these women that were higher up than me were like thinking that they were going to get fired. So to cover their asses, they were firing people higher up. They were basically getting higher ups in trouble and then getting them fired. Wow. And we went from like having seven people to having three people and they tried to fire me and they conspired against each other to do that too. And then I kind of fought back and it got really, really, really bad. And they started sending me out on really dangerous like calls and like not responding to my my callbacks it was bad it was horrible so I quit then they begged me to come back with more pay and then when I didn't come back once they find found somebody to replace me they fired me it was at that point where I had I had moved out we had moved out of the room that me and my wife were, were living in and uh, moved up and we thought you know we're doing better and then had to move back into that room and couldn't afford anything and it was it was it was kind of depressing but then it was just like it hit this realization that you know I'm being pushed back into what I was doing before and I don't think I ever really tried hard enough. Like mm. I was just doing the minimal amount of work um, to c- try to make it by. And if I'm gonna if I'm gonna attempt to make a living off this, I'm gonna try harder. So basically, I just sat down and started building a portfolio and contacting everybody I possibly could. And one of the people that I contacted was an independent video game studio called Chronic Logic, who happened to just be down the street from where I live. And uh, I went over and visited them, and they seemed pretty cool. 
they were making games called Bridge Builder. They were bridge building games. Mm-hmm. And I had played them. I was familiar with the games. They were pretty cool. And they hired me on doing um, just doing basic artwork and like box art for their game and just really basic stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I think I was getting paid like four, 450 bucks a month uh, for that, which covered my most of the rent uh, at the room that I was renting. I think about two months in, I started getting really into video games. And um, at the time, I was I was working on this game called Weltling and a game called Serious Shy, And I was working on these games with uh, Tom Fult, who later went on to do Alien Hominid and, and everything else. Oh, okay. What happened, basically, was while I was working on that, I was thinking, okay, Serious Shy is going to be the first game that I'm going to put out and I'm doing it with Tom, so that's really cool. And then around that time, he got really serious with Alien Hominid. He's like, I can't work on any games anymore. You know, I need to focus on Alien Hominid. We're going to try to put it to, to console and everything else. And basically that was it. And we had to stop development on it. And I got kind of depressed again. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to make up a new game and I'm going to pitch it to the Chronicle guys. And I'm going to make it physics-based because I know that, you know, Alex is really good with physics. And that was Gish. So I pitched, pitched Gish to him and we actually made it in like six months. Wow. And, uh, it went on to win the grand prize at the Independent Games Festival in 2005, and that was basically kind of the start. Um, it was also the end, because for me, my first game winning the grand prize at, at, at that time, the most prestigious independent festival that there was, was a bit of a... It was destructive. Because you were expected to, to top that. Yeah, how am I going to top that? It's like, well, at that point, it seemed impossible, and for two years, I didn't do anything. It was It was impossible like i couldn't make a better game than that game i was very new to game design i hadn't learned a great deal yet so at that time it's like i couldn't i felt like that was a hurdle that i could never jump back over like i could not beat gish no matter how hard i tried and for quite a few years i would just kind of float it around and and try to figure out what i was going to do and I think I, I ended up getting in touch with uh, this kid named Florian Hensel, um, who programmed in Flash and started working on a game called Triacnid. It was like the sudden realization where I found like I could I could kind of trick my brain and, and, and force it in a new direction where I wasn't directly competing in my mind with Gish. I was competing with myself. Like I wanted to just push myself as an artist. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see if I could make games that were, I guess at the time I thought I, I wanted to make games that were emotionally impactful. Um, I wanted to make you know beautiful games. I wanted to make thought-provoking games. I wanted to make games that that I could express myself with in the same way that I did with my comics in the past. And uh, that was kind of like my new direction. And I thought, okay, you know, I can do this. And uh, since then, I just kind of churned out loads of you know flash games, ranging from you know personal games, art games, to just fun, formulaic video game, arcade games, and uh, eventually hit meet boy and started working with Tommy and then around that time um, publishers were talking to me and I thought okay well this is time to prove my worth and Tommy was totally down with that and I know that he's the only person that I knew that that could really kick ass Uh, he's the best programmer that I've ever met so I said okay well let's do this and that was basically it that's about sums up my career Wow. How, how did you learn Flash initially? Because, uh, you know, it was kind of new when you were diving in Macromedia. Yeah, I, um, I actually did learn Flash from school. Out of high school, I got a scholarship to go to the Arts Academy in San Francisco, which I went to for a week. <laughs> uh, I felt really out of place there, and they, um, they said that the scholarship, like, there's some weird thing about maintaining a B average, um, and they needed money up front in order to secure, mm. um, you know, my place in the school and blah, blah, blah. 
they wanted a couple grand and my parents you know don't have money and i didn't have money so i said i don't even like this place i want to go home so i just took the scholarships that i had and went to community college and spent money basically on video games and whatever else at the time i took a, a class on flash photoshop and uh dreamweaver and uh, i learned i failed all those classes i learned enough though to uh basically go home i think i took i went there for like maybe two weeks learned enough and then just didn't go back at that point i was living at my grandma's and i was my sleep schedule was actually worse than it is now where i was completely sleeping through the day and just up at night and getting very little sleep i would do like sleep deprivation challenges on myself and see how many days i could stay up and just work and i was pretty much obsessively working on projects then and uh and that's kind of where the flash thing came from it was just like a lot of trial and error i still don't i don't program in flash but i, I i'm very fluent with uh, drawing in flash and getting around in flash and gotcha. work for a very long time yeah i know all about that sleep deprivation and uh, except i did it with pastels and things like that in, in a pre-computer world but uh yeah I, I used to stay up a couple couple days in a row in yeah, me boy i can't do that anymore i oh, can't do that no. anymore uh uh-uh, no and now you now you hallucinate and you flip <laughs> <laughs> out yeah I yeah cannot, i can stay up but it's not good no, it's not. That's definitely a young youngster's forte, I think. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Meat Boy. Now, you are Meat Boy. You're in a world that is both a reflection of and a reaction to video games. And it's obvious that you're both uh, game enthusiasts. Actually, I have never played a video game. What? <laughs> Ever. No. <laughs> I, I enjoy solitaire. And... Uh, I watch the World Series of Poker every night, even though I've never played poker. <laughs> well, I, I semi-believe you. Very good. Except that you told me that you had video games when you were young, so there you that go. That was me lying before. I wanted to put it in. He doesn't look cool. Yeah, and you yeah. just picked the Fairchild Channel F out of the blue. <laughs> yeah, well, I had Wikipedia up, and I was trying to search for something around the time when I was born. Right, and right. Up. And yeah. one of the most rare systems. Um, <laughs> there was also the the RCA Studio Pro. That was another one that was uh, sort of around that same time that did about as well. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, surprisingly, my Pong games that I had, I had two Pong games. I don't know why my dad bought two Pong games. But they both had rifle or gun attachments to them. So you could play Skeet and shoot at a light bulb and get a high score. That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. The first game that I remember ever playing was my dad had a handheld football game, and I had no idea how it worked or what it was that I played it. Oh, the Mattel it game, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. it was just like a football field with little uh, green lights that moved around on it. Yeah, the, the LEDs, uh-huh. Yeah, Yeah, that was it. I loved it, but I... Listen, I, I don't think I ever knew what was going on. I, I still play it, and I don't know. Am I supposed to be playing with two players? I have it on one player, but yet I'm both teams. When does it end? I don't know when it ends either. That's another thing. And, you know, there is someone that developed the iPod versions of those Mattel games, and I am not one for things that aren't built to take advantage of the time. The, I know you have some comments for this, Tommy, as well. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I, like, I really enjoy games that were built for the ground up to use um, the interface that this thing has except i gotta tell you pac-man for the ipad is just amazing with swipe control but that notwithstanding um these mattel games for some reason 
feel like I'm playing those old games. I don't know what it is about it, but even without the sense of pushing down a button and and hearing like a click, for some reason, those games feel like I'm really playing it. And I think it's because there really wasn't a D-pad. <laughs> maybe that's it you know maybe that's it it's, it's an early game system like you uh, compared it to the tiger handhelds um it's you know it's an early game system but it really feels like i'm playing i can get out my plastic one or i could play it on my ipod and it, and it works very well but back to super meat boy uh, did you set out to do everything you loved about gaming and then your own thing on top of it i, I think it was more of like uh hey, we're going to make this game. We had something to base it off of because the Meat Boy prototype was out and we knew we're going to have a boy made of meat versus a fetus in a jar platforming his way through crazy levels. We knew there weren't going to be things that you killed. You know, your character was going to stay vulnerable and the princess was always going to be in another castle after every single level. That's great. Um, We knew, of course, we were going to make it. It is a straight parody of video games. I mean, it's an homage as well as a parody to everything we've experienced when we were young and uh but it goes a step further and actually tries to make it good you know rethink the formulas and really think about what we're doing and why and why games that are difficult are fun and why games that are difficult are frustrating and how to try to make that better try to try to re-envision the the, the mario formula and and break it down and see what works now in this current generation but the theme and in, in the, in the mindset from the beginning was how can we basically remake Mario to make kids that are like us, like if we were you know, 12 or 13 again, mm-hmm. if Super Meat Boy came out, how can we get those kids to totally go crazy fanboy over this game you know, in the same way that you know, I would argue at school and middle school about how the Super Nintendo version of Mortal Kombat is better than the Genesis version because it looks better even though it doesn't have blood. Uh-huh. Spit. Yeah, it's like... You know, any anything like that. Like, if there's people in the schoolyard arguing over the versions of Meat Boy that they like more, or, you know, getting passionate about the game and getting really into it. Like, I remember there was a game called, like, Bloodstorm when I was young, too, which was, like, a playoff of Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. Which, to me, when I thought, I thought, oh, my God, this is, like, the game for me. Like, it takes Mortal Kombat and goes even further with its, like, over-the-top crazy gore, and it's got, like, a Mega Man-esque formula where you kill guys and you get their abilities and it was just all the stuff stacked on it was a horrible game horrible game <laughs> but i love the way it looks i love the idea of it and it just seemed magical and i thought how cool it would be to try to create something that seems so i guess new and fresh and yet familiar and that was basically what we're going for it's like trying to recreate that mario field but with the current generation and this is an insanely ambitious thing to do to try to attempt to make something on the par with Mario like that's sure. insane like yeah. that's that is insane you don't do that because you're not going to be able to do it so this was a huge 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 challenge for us and I really think that we've done it and uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see how people react when it's out but this is by far the best thing I've ever worked on and the most fun thing I've ever worked on it's, I mean it's been a grueling year um, of crazy development and uh I'm very happy with it, and it's still getting better. Yeah, it draws on more than just Mario, though. I mean, uh, you know, an, an influence. Uh, not not to say that. Oh, it draws on everything. Yeah, sure. yeah. It, 
How did those ideas come about? Like, did you think about, well, what did I used to like? I'm mean, definitely, I'm interested, of course, in the ghouls and ghosts aspect. Like, what version, first of all, of, of ghouls and ghosts or ghosts and goblins, whatever you want to call it, what version did you play and or remember? I played the hell out of um, the NES version. Okay. That was one of those, it was, it was the first real hardcore bragging rights games. I was never a really good video game player. Um, mm. But my cousins and I would get a little competitive, and I remember we would always try to see how far we could get in that game. And there was so much mystery of what what, what was going to come next, you mm. know? Because back then there wasn't any spoilers. Like, you didn't know. Until right. you saw it yourself, you didn't really see what came after the part in Ghouls and Ghosts where those are the guys that sh** you from above. <laughs> like, you know those guys? Yeah. They're like beige. Uh, it was like a high-rise building part. Oh, um, right, right. And they, like, squat and crap on you. Oh, yeah, those pigs, those pigs, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was, like, uh, I think when I was little, I only got, like, one level past that. And that was, like, as far as I could get. But, you know, you hear all these rumors about the mysteries that, that await you. Because uh, the game was so difficult, you could never really get there. But there was also a thing, too, is, like, they created a lot of magic. There was there's just so many elements to old games that didn't hold your hand, you know, didn't tell you how to beat things, didn't tell you what to do. But we wanted to, like, pull from that, but also improve on it. The game was very fun back then, but Ghosts and Goblins is aggravatingly frustrating in so many different ways. I mean, mean, the Super Nintendo version, when you had a double jump, that was even more frustrating. The controls were so bad. Yeah, that was an insane version, no doubt about (laughs) it. And uh, so there's this thing, it's like, there was a reason why those old games were good, and I don't believe it's pure nostalgia. I believe it has a lot to do with what wasn't said to the player and the lack of hand-holding, the mystery involved, all that sort of stuff, too, as the industry progressed. And people started seeing as video games as just a money-making tool. You know, it's easy to just go, okay, well, everybody wants to beat, beat the game, so let's make it easier, you know, so people are more fulfilled because it's frustrating for people not to beat the game, so they make it easier, and they don't want anybody to get stuck, so they put really crazy instructions in that hold the player's hand through the whole experience and then they add addicting formulas in that are nothing to do with the game but something there that they put in so you can keep playing keep playing keep playing right even though there's nothing else offered and uh that's basically where we are now i think a lot of people are have grown tired of that and looking for something that's legitimately challenging again and uh legitimately fun and compelling and not just blatantly addicting and empty which a lot of a lot of mainstream games have become that way. But back to the basic question of pulling from a lot of different games. Yeah, we, we pulled from every you know, every game back in the in the early nineties was or the late eighties was go find your girlfriend. The damsel in distress uh, formula that everybody used that was just so cliche and and we, we try to touch on every cliche element of old video games as we possibly can to uh, try to sum up video games, I guess. Even when things got crazy gory and there was just gore for no reason in games, just because <laughs> that's like, this game is incredibly gory, even though it's not really, you know, yeah. animated or obscene or anything, but it's just that kind of like out of the blue goriness, but it also is, there's some thought behind it and the fact that you're playing as a, a very vulnerable character who's not killing anything and, uh, mm can't really touch anything without getting injured himself. Wow, it's like Little Nemo. Is it? <laughs> he, he was one of the first games that was on the NES where he, he didn't kill anyone, so... It just... I, think, I thought he threw, like, candies at things. Oh, yeah, he did throw candies. Yeah, he did. He, yeah. Got, on a, he got on a toad that crushed him. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, well... I was to eat the candy. 
Like, whenever I would see him throwing the candy, I would be like, I want to eat that candy because I don't know why, but it just seemed really good. I think it reminded me because at the grocery stores here back around that time, you remember how it was like it was it was wrapped and it was like big in the center and then it had the two like wrapper things on the end of it. Sure. But yeah. it had these uh, chocolate mint things that were wrapped the exact same way. And I love those. So I guess whenever I saw Nemo throwing those things, I'm like, oh, I'm chocolate mint things. <laughs> <laughs> now I can't. That's the cruel irony. They don't. You can have a little thing. They don't have hard candies. Oh, I see. I see. Well, they make those ones that make you have diarrhea for uh, diabetics. Yeah, that's not that good. <laughs> that sounds good, Tommy. Why don't you do that? I don't know. It seems like, uh, I don't know, not my style. I ate a whole bag of those uh, diabetic ones, and because I, I was on a very, um, I was on a no sugar type of uh, mentality there for a while, a couple of years back, and mm-hmm. then I read the back. You know, my stomach started gurgling. I was like, "What the?" And I read the back, and it says a diuretic. Eat eat two only. I'm like, why would they put diarrhea pills in here instead of sugar? Because they hate diabetics. (laughs) Don't they they have anything that tastes like sugar instead of laxative? (laughs) Tommy, would you rather be able to eat sugar or every time you eat anything, you got horrible diarrhea? I would like to have the diarrhea. There you go. You would eventually get. I hear you. I hear you complaining about the diarrhea. I think. Yeah. Oh, of course. I mean, complain or whatever. But see, like the diarrhea, it goes and then it passes. You know. I mean, it's always there. But it, but see, with like like this, like uh, you know, just like last night, like I took too much insulin, so my sugar went low, which means I had to eat some sugar, which meant it went high and then it went low again, and I felt like garbage, my and I slept a little too deep. And that's weird. But yeah, if I had diarrhea, you know, done. Uh, now, speaking of higher intellectual concepts, when Meat Boy does leave a little bit of himself behind, is, is that a metaphor for something? Is that is that life reflected? If you want to put metaphors in and, and pick things apart, then you're more than welcome to. But I'm not going to talk about any metaphor stuff for, for Meat Boy because it's just, uh, I don't want to snob up. The work. For me, for me, every time Neat Boy leaves a trail of blood, it reminds me of a love that was long lost. And it reminds me of when I became a woman. <laughs> it, it, I think that that resonates with everyone, every man, uh, no doubt yeah. about it. Yeah, I'm sure. Man becomes a woman. <laughs> Now, Tommy, what? Now you're the you're the main <laughs> yeah. you're, you're mainly programming this, I guess. But I guess a lot of ideas come from you as well. What type of idea are you really proud of that you put into this title? I know the answer. What? What would you say my answer was? Replays. Yes, it's the best thing. <laughs> Though those do look awesome when you have all those meat men on screen there. Yeah. Now, yeah. is there meat men music that plays underneath? That would be something. No, they just. They make their own music with the pitter-patter of their bloody feet. I see. Oh, you know what? That's something I did want to ask you, not not to uh, cut you off there, but Edmund, I, I loved the music in Gish. How did that happen? Oh, in Gish? Yeah. That was by a stratosphere, which is like a, a break-off of Mr. Bungle. The touring basis for Mr. Bungle uh, made a stratosphere, and then he was just local to Santa Cruz, and we contacted him and said, hey, 
uh, can we use some of your music for this game? And he said yes, and that was basically it. He did a few custom tracks, and that was basically the end of it. But really? uh, for me, for Super Meat Boy, the musician we got, his name's Danny Baranowski, and he's quite amazing. He's probably one of the, the well, he is. He's the best musician yeah, that I've ever worked with by far. Wow. Fantastic. And now, Tommy, you, did you create the, the Tiger handheld uh, joke uh, app for the iPhone? I, I paid for that, by the way. Oh, thank uh, you. Yes. Yeah, me and Ed did that on a Saturday. Wow. And, yeah, we submitted it on Sunday. Yeah. Now, how did you find the the uh, SDK for the iPhone? Uh, it's all right. Xcode is horrible, though. Okay, so what did you program that in? C++. C++. Okay. Oh, okay. Very good. I didn't use their Objective-C. Like, I, I I had, like, a core iPhone engine that did all the Objective-C stuff from a long time ago. And then, yeah, like, all of the gameplay and rendering and everything is all taken care of with, like, you know, C++ and OpenGL. Okay, cool, cool. I've read some of the reviews on there, and, uh, boy, it's 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 amazing... Uh, well, you know, if you have YouTube, you you've already experienced the the internet mentality. Uh, yeah. But uh, I was like, don't don't you see that, that this is incredibly awesome because of of what it is uh, trying to not be. Reading those reviews was hilarious, and the the hilarious thing, the most funny thing that happened was Touch Arcade. Somebody in the forum actually did a serious review of it, and to me, it just further put my point. Like it just—it just made it that much clearer that people on the app store will take anything. They will take anything because they're so starved for anything that's like anywhere near coherent. Which Meat Boy wasn't, but because they're so starved, they did a full review. Like it, it was like a couple pages or something of this game, and they reviewed the graphics and they reviewed the sound. They gave it good marks for graphics. Wow. They gave it. They gave it okay marks for gameplay, and it's like. This was a f-ing joke we made in a day to make fun of the App Store. Uh, like, again, to make fun of the App Store. And, yeah, it's like the people that just totally didn't get it were just like, oh, this is, why'd they waste all their time on this? We didn't waste any time on it. That's it great. was hilarious, and it was a nice break from development. And it was, like, right after GDC, so we were both stressed out. We needed something to get our minds off of it and something to... Something to do, <laughs> no, and it no. made us like a thousand bucks. That, that's great. Yeah, I've had albums. Uh, you know, I've ha- I have albums in in uh, iTunes Music Store, and they've always been fair to me on that. So I was I was wondering how how well they pay out on these apps. The app store itself is it's honestly. I was talking to a friend yesterday, and he's kind of trying to de- determine what he's going to do. He's kind of in an in between point, and he's like, maybe I can make an iPhone app that'll make me a lot of money. I said, well, you could probably go to a casino and spend less money and your chances would be about the same of making the same amount of money. It's because like, there's just so much on that store. Yeah. It's just, it's just horrible. I'm like, yeah, now right now, iPad games are doing well because there's not a lot of specific iPad games. Mm -hmm. That's going to change very, very soon. It's going to be like the iPhone now. The iPhone now isn't that lucrative. It does okay for some people, but 90% of the people are like, it is not worth the time and effort put into it. If you get up into the top ten, you sell like ten thousand units a day. But you know, ten thousand units a day at a dollar, and then you're only in the top ten for three days. That's thirty grand over something that could have possibly taken you a year to develop. It's just not worth it. Right. And you can't 
price more than that unless you're like EA or somebody that can like really uh, market it out like they did with Street Fighter and they do well EA didn't do Street Fighter but you know you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. like the the Assassin's Creed's and the Street Fighters and the and the Grand Theft Autos those people can charge ten bucks because they can push their franchise that much more and people will just buy it but an indie developer really can't get away with much more than that at least not for an extended period of time unless they make something totally totally amazing that gets a ton of attention and has some real longevity but I have yet to see an iPhone game that has any sort of like you know like you play Red Dead Redemption or something you come back to that game you know you play Final Fantasy you come back to Street Fighter none of those nothing like that will ever work on iPhone except with the exception of like puzzle games or something like that something that's specifically designed for the platform right sure and a lot of indie developers they don't really want to make stuff like that you know they want to be creative they want to make something new and they kind of get into this weird loop where it's like oh well there's no approval process so that's obviously the best system to develop for and then they kind of like truncate their ideas and they compromise and then next thing you know they have controls on the screen and it's just like this just doesn't work it doesn't work no. Right, right. When I was trying to get a little bit of backstory here, I, I did see your your speech there, your your uh, presentation. <laughs> Unfortunately, because I was going to ask if the next version of the Meat Boy for the iPod could have a barcode reader, and of course you <laughs> you mentioned about that. But I had I had the um, Power Rangers barcode tiger handheld. Barcode readers were like a huge sensation in Japan. There was like this one brand of noodles. That sold out everywhere in supermarkets because people were scanning them into their Famicom systems. So I could not wait for something like this to come to the America. And uh, when it came to the America, uh, yeah. as I evidently call it, uh, yeah, the America. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I had to buy the first thing, and it was you know Power Rangers. I had that, and I was like, boy, this stinks. And uh, and that's about it. Yeah, and and then of course it was just a big flop because you know. Americans don't want to go out and and buy pretzels and scan things. I guess to have yeah, video like, games. I I had I had one of those. There's a place. It was called McFrugals here, and when um basically when stuff did horribly and they had overstocks of it, they would send it to this place. So you'd get like really cheap weird. And uh, there was this thing I picked up called the Barcode Battler, and it was five dollars. Yeah, sure, sure. It was a huge thing. And uh, and it's one of those things I still don't understand exactly what I was doing in it, but I knew that when I scanned things in, it would give my guys certain powers, and then you'd fight. I think that's really a fantastic little idea. Little, you know, I'm I'm a big one for these other methods of interaction and stuff like that. So I latch on to we like to call them the lovable losers on this show, and I'll spend you know whole shows and we'll talk about the the game con. Or calm, and no yeah, one even knows what There's something called. pretty awesome about the idea of any game that gets a player to take something from the real world, bring it into the game, and then that becomes part of the game is pretty cool. It's always a neat kind of experiment, and I and I, I appreciate that sort of stuff. I thought it was really cool when I was little, even though I didn't understand what I was doing, and uh, it just gives an extra element of exploration in the real world. You know what I mean? Like you're now exploring in the real world for things obscure lines a series of lines that you scan into this game and it does something and that's pretty neat um, even though it's dumb 
Yes, <laughs> definitely. Hey, I'm getting tired of blowing my air horn over here. Sneaky, why don't you put that air horn up your ass? <laughs> and that'll that'll make it so he has to blow it twice. I got a, I got a, I got a story about a kid that we called Stinky. Oh, you do? Oh. Yeah, um, this kid used to pee his chair. <laughs> well, that's exactly what Stinky does. So that is, uh, it, it was like a puddle. Um, Stinky would leave a, a puddle of urine in his chair every day. It was so strange, though, because it wasn't like, you know, he's peeing his pants. Like, this was second grade, okay? So we'll cut him a little slack here. You know, there's still booger eaters and everything else. But this kid would pee his pants, but he wouldn't just like, oh, I'm peeing my pants. I have to go to the bathroom. He would just sit and then just fill it up. And it was one of those chairs that was plastic, you know. Oh, yeah, it had, it had like a, a bucket in the bottom, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It had, had a scoop to it. So it would just basically fill up. And then when he'd stand up and he would act like, you know, nothing happened, there would just be, you know, a little bucket of in the left for everybody else. And he, of course, stunk. Like urine, so we called him Stinky. Ah, oh, that's horribly cruel. Well, Stinky's real name is Engelbert Humperstink, so that's why we get Stinky from the the last name there. I understood. Yes. Understood. Very understood. Well, uh, on that note, and uh, a sour note it is, uh, two sour notes, by the way. You know, I'm going to have to have you guys back because we didn't even talk about what you're playing now outside of uh, programming and, and artworking it up for these uh, these new games. I know you're not playing the iPhone, most likely. But uh, we'll have to have you back after Super Meat Boy comes out and is a huge success and makes you superstars with Lamborghinis. That would be nice. My truck's totaled. Oh, well, there you go. Perfect. It's a perfect truck replacement. I've got a flat. I've got a, instead of a window, I have a tarp that goes over it. My wife has to get in the driver's side. This is something when you're married, this is a complaint that comes up just so people are listening. When you get married and your truck gets totaled and you can't open the other door, eventually your wife is going to start complaining about having to crawl in to the driver's side. Also, the tarp that goes (laughs) to the tarp's credit, to the tarp's credit, it's a pretty nice tarp. But it's gotten better. You haven't even seen the new one. It's very no. nice. It's very, really? very nice. Yeah, and the tape job. Yeah. But, no, it's just something I guess the girls don't like. Guys are, like, totally cool with. Sure, yeah. Duke's a that hazard. Tape solves mostly every problem. Definitely. Except a marriage. You can't, unless you're duct taping your wife, like, mouth closed and her arms behind her back in the back room my goodness that's my other show we can't talk about that now oh bandage girl that fits right into there almost but not exactly hey guys thank you so very much edmund mcmillan uh used to go by uh mc mcmillan and dj jazzy jeff and tommy thank you so very much for uh tommy raffinus thank you so very much for joining us on we talk games our humble little slice of heaven bye now Yeesh, my horn blower's all blown out. Freedom of expression, Stinky. Freedom of expression. Check out Team Meat at supermeatboy.com. It's a gorgeous, loving website. You will see why this game is generating such a buzz. And I hope it's very successful for both of them. Great guys. Real people. All right, so how cool was that? Very. 
Yeah, that was great. They're one of our best interviews. I'm sure some listeners are asking, like, why are we revisiting this interview so soon? I, on Interview Starcade, we're supposed to, you know, go back <laughs> into the, the archives, archives and yeah. Uh, dig, yeah, dig, <laughs> if dig you it. will, into some of the uh, the interviewing gems that we did in the past. Well, there's a very good reason behind it. That's Tiny. because Super Meat Boy's coming out and uh, Wiggly is in it. Yeah, I am in it, and uh, not only that, but it's going to be out for your Xbox 360 first, part of their Fall Feast lineup of four titles. Yum, four yum, great, yum. Four Come get you games. some. Yes. It's also going to be available for your Wii. And Eventually. Your, yeah, and your PC and your Mac. And that's another thing. Uh, Tommy's This Is A Cry For Help is, is universal, so you can run that on your PC and your Mac. Most of the games run in a web browser, and, you know, 10 bucks. 17 right. games, 15 comics, sketchbooks, and everything else. That's and where else are you going to play a game called... Oh, thanks for joining us for Interview Starcade. Bye now. Hey, see you <laughs> next time. Bye. Oh, if you, if you like what you hear on the show, why not join us over at WeTalkGames.com, our social media networking site for like-minded individuals that love the video games. You know what we do over there? What? We talk games. We do. Also, subscribe to our flagship show, WeTalkGames.com. It's amazing. All these interviews are embedded within tons of fun. It's like a fun sandwich. Mm. Plus our breakout bonus levels that we have sporadically almost every week. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Join us next time on Interview Starcade. We'll talk to you soon. Bye now. Bye-bye.